Uh, if you want to turn in your Bible with me, I'd appreciate that. Turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We are uh, finishing up today on our series, Heaven Came Down, and looking at, at Christmas from uh, the angle of heaven, and what it, what it looked like from heaven and out of heaven, and, and, and today we're going to see some of the cosmic battle of, of what was going on as well, and it really kind of brings to light uh, not only Christ's victory and authority over everything, but it brings, uh, brings us to his humility and, and how he's searching for us and pursuing us and desiring that we would be forgiven of our sins. So we're going to see that today. We started again a few weeks ago in, in looking at the glory and the humility of Christ, looking at the first part of Philippians 2. Uh, and then we moved into John and we looked at uh, the Word becoming flesh and that the Word was the exact representation of God and His nature. It was God in the flesh came and dwelt among us. Last week we looked at Jesus saying uh, and showing His claims of, that He is the bread of life. He's the bread that came down from heaven from John 6. And we celebrated the Lord's Supper and, and understood that he gave himself. God came in the flesh to give himself as flesh, as the true bread, the bread that would be once and for all, for all who would believe. And that heaven came down for you and for me, that we might be forgiven because of what he accomplished. And today, we come back around to Philippians again to finish out our series. And we take a look at the triumph and the exaltation of Christ. The triumph and exaltation of Christ. And, and, and one of the things I've said over and over through this series, uh, let's not let the story just be the story, right? Let's not just remember and know the story because we know it. Let's, let's know the Savior who the story is about. Let's embrace the majesty and the glory of the Savior. Let's embrace the fact that, that in this tiny baby, I keep pointing the nativity in front of me, right? And that this tiny baby who came is actually God in the flesh. And this tiny baby, helpless, humble, lowly, was here to accomplish more than we could ever fathom accomplishing on our own. It's only through Christ that we have forgiveness. It's only through Christ that we have life. I mentioned this last week, and I mentioned it at the Christmas Eve service. Right? Without Christmas, there is no Good Friday. Without Christmas, there is no Easter Sunday. God came in the flesh. He humbled himself and became a, a man, a flesh and blood, so he could ultimately die for us. So we're going to see uh, what that accomplished and, and how he's exalted because of that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into our text in Philippians uh, chapter 2. Father, I thank you so much for you. And God, as, as Christmas has now come and gone, may it not just come and go out of our hearts, out of our minds, God, out of our memories every single day, remembering that you came. You came to conquer Satan. You came to conquer death so we could have life through you. Help us see that today. Help us see that every day. God, open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word that we might grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. We might become more conformed into the image of Christ, looking like him more and more every day. We thank you. We commit this time to you now. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 7b. Is kind of where we left off. We can kind of go up a little further than that. Let's start in 5. Just to recap, right, where we were. Paul exhorts the Philippians to, to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited right, or grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason... God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. So today we're going to look at this triumph and exaltation. Triumph and exaltation. Three different sections, and this first one's going to be kind of the bigger one. And I apologize, I'm not going to go into a crazy, crazy um, exegesis of Revelation 12. We're just going to see it today, kind of tickle our, our taste buds a little bit. Hopefully you've read this as you've read this last week. But uh, if we were to look at triumph and exaltation, number one, we see this. In triumph and exaltation, we saw that he has won the victory. Right? He has won the victory. That's our triumph. He has won the victory. Looking at this uh, last part here we just read in Philippians, he took on the form of human likeness, right? And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now, what's really interesting is what happens between verse 7 and verse 8 here in Philippians. Let's see it again. The last line of verse 7 says this, he, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if we're reading that and you're just reading a novel, you're like, oh man, the story's over, right? Jesus has come. Jesus was crucified, he was killed, he was put in the grave, and it's done. But then something, something happens, and the question is, what happens? Because verse 8 says this, Therefore, right, for this reason, God highly exalted him. How do you exalt a dead guy? Raise him up. Now, we, we tend to want legacies for our, our friends and family who have passed, right? We have memorials, we have tombstones, we have uh, obituaries that we write, eulogy, eulogies that we share, But God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. Something had to happen between the point of death on a cross and being highly exalted. And and it's interesting that as as we look at this uh, this scene of triumph and exaltation, what it is is we're seeing this first half of the final act of redemption. This is the first half of the final act of redemption. Redemption. We're going to see the second act as well today and see what that looks like. But I want to talk, think about this for the apostles, the early church uh, fathers, right, and, and, and then the disciples who followed Christ as well. They looked, they looked forward to the second coming. They knew Jesus was going to come back, that he, he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and he said, I'm coming back. Right, okay, he's, he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. Right, he's coming back. And they, they looked forward to that. But there was something special about what happened between 7 and 8 that they held on to. And how do we know that? Because they called the first coming, although they were looking forward to the second coming, the return of Christ, they called the first coming, what is the first coming? Christmas. Christmas is the first coming. Okay, they looked forward to the second coming. Jesus is coming back. But although they looked forward to the first coming, uh, the second coming, they, they called the first coming the end of the ages. The end of the ages. Why? What, what happened between verse 7 and 8 that we'd call it the end of the ages? Well, death was defeated. And Satan was defeated. God won. God won the victory. There's a decisive battle that he won. So I want us to think of Christmas like the apostles. And I want us to look at Christmas and think about Christmas as the end of the age or the end of days. And I'm going I'm to show you some of these verses where this, this is seen and where Christmas is the, the first coming of Christ, Christmas is the big deal, right? It's the big deal to Christians. So you and I can't trivialize it. We can't make it normal and mundane. We can't say, oh, I know the story, Jesus in a manger. Even on, on uh, Friday night as we gathered here, I encouraged you to listen to the songs, to, to hear the lyrics, to hear the story afresh, not just sing it because we know it, 
It's like when we memorize the Lord's Prayer next week. Some of you have it, have it down already, but you don't really have it down in here. Right? It's important for us to really own it and embrace it in our heart. So as we, as we go through this, we don't trivialize Christmas, and we understand that Christmas, the first coming, something special happened there. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction. Now he's talking about the Old Testament and what happened in the Old Testament and, and the example said and the law that was given. He said, this was all examples or samples given for, for our instruction. And it was written down for our instruction. On whom? Written for us, our instruction. So he's talking about present day Christians. He's, when Paul is writing this, he's talking about people who have seen and heard about Jesus Christ coming in the flesh as a baby who grew up, who taught, who died, who rose again. So this has come for us, right? On whom, he says, the end of ages has come. The end of ages has come. It's not, not looking forward. That's not the second coming, right? It's not will come or eventually is going to take place. It's saying has come already. The end of the ages has come. So all the events in the Old Testament happened and there were warnings and examples, but uh, at the end of the ages has come on us. Now we're still waiting for Christ to return and we're eager for Christ to return, but we're, what is the end of the ages here? Well, Acts Peter's talking about this. After Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit descend down on the on believers. And he says this. He says, uh, they're not drunk. You know, you think they're, they're speaking weird. It's not. It, they aren't drunk. They're filled with the Spirit. He says, it's prophesied through Joel that it will be in the last days that God will pour out His Spirit on His people. So in the last days or in the end of the age or in the end of the ages. Peter goes on in 1 Peter 1. He says, you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life that you inherited from your ancestors. Interesting. In the empty way of life inherited from your ancestors. Paul said that earlier, right? These things happen as examples and they're written down for our instruction. But those are empty ways of life because what we really need is Jesus. He says, you can't be bought with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was, here's, here's the kicker. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. We've talked about that in the last month, right? He is eternal. He's from forever to forever. Christ has always existed as part of the triune God. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for you. Is that talking about the second coming or the first? It's talking about Christmas. The end of days, the last times. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, when the time had came to completion, right, at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. So at the right time, this is, this is talking about Jesus coming, his birth. There was triumph and there's, there's going to be exaltation with this. But Jesus coming, this is what happened between verse 7 and 8. We've got to investigate what was, what, what's it, What's going on that we call it the end of the ages, the last days? We see it in Hebrews, I think, even more vividly. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 26. It says, he has appeared one time, he's talking about Jesus Christ, he's appeared one time at the end of the ages. There's the word, the phrase again. For the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Right, He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross we saw. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, the judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. 
This passage is, is awesome because it shows us the first half and the second half of the final act, doesn't it? We see the first half here. It says, He has appeared uh, one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Right? And just as it's appointed once for people to die and then after this judgment. So that he's like, I'm coming. I'm coming to rescue you. I, I, heaven came down for you. This is what happened. And, and he died for you. And now that second, that second half of that final act is we're waiting for that. And, and it's interesting. Why do we keep waiting Right? We're wait- we should be waiting for him to appear and to rescue us. But listen, there are so many people who aren't waiting for him. They're stuck out there in limbo doing whatever they're doing. They don't care. They're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting the Messiah altogether. And they could care less. He came, though. And, he- and why is he not rushing to the second coming? Because he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but, to ca- but for all to come to eternal life. He wants them to come and believe in him and the Son that was sent for their rescue for their rescue. It's amazing here. We'll see in a few minutes. God, God defeated Satan, right? The enemy. If you look at this as a, a novel or a movie, God had this enemy, this arch enemy, Satan. God didn't need this story in order to defeat Satan, right? God could have left everything on humanity just alone and to itself and not even cared about it. And God could have said, I'm just going to go out in this cosmic battle and whoop Satan and be done. But he cares for us. Right? There's something special about his unique creation that he, he wants to pursue us. He wants to, to, to know us. And he wants us to know him. So it wasn't enough just to go cosmically dis- destroy and defeat Satan. He had to come and defeat the power that Satan had, the power of death over us because of our sin. We'll see that in a minute. So the first half, he's done what's necessary. And I want us to catch that. He has done what is necessary for us. Christ has come. He has died on a cross in my place and in your place as an atonement for the sin that I owed for and that you owed for. That's what Christ has done. He's done what's necessary for us. And and he's exhorting and, and pleading with us to repent, to turn from our sin, and to believe and trust in him in faith that we would have life in him. Because judgment is coming there will be a day where we will have to stand before god and give an account and we'll look at that in a few minutes so now it says he wants to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him he doesn't have to wait for them anymore he's not he's not the one doing the waiting he's ready right what are we waiting for we ought to we ought to be waiting right we ought to encourage our people to wait patiently for him, our, our friends, our neighbors, to think, think about Christ and to go towards Christ and move towards Christ. This is that time of waiting right now between the first and second half, but he is coming back. But let's look at this cosmic battle. I want you to turn to Revelation 12 with me. So in, in this triumph and exaltation, he has, won, he has won the victory, and we're going to see that. So this first half of the, fir- of the final act has been fought, and, and the battle is over. So Revelation 12, and, and there's all kinds of different eschatology, right? Study of the end times, and what, what most would say is there's a pause going on here. You have this, this tribulation happening through chapter 11, then there's this pause and the sign of things that have already happened and are happening, and it's kind of a, a rewind and a fast forward back and forth, and you'll see that a little bit today, and then it picks up again in, in future chapters. But chapter 12, it's, it's quite Christmassy. I don't know we ever really read this for a Christmas story, do we? 
Revelation 12. You ready? 1 through 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, with a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, uh, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. Let's pause there for a minute. Let's just think about this lovely story we have going on. Don't worry, kids. We'll read a different story in a little while. Okay? Yeah, how do you read a, how do you read a this fiery dragon story? Uh, children's Corner, I don't know. We'll see. So let's look at the first part here. Great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, with a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. So we see this woman is about to give birth. Now certainly for you and I, that think, makes us think of Christmas, right? It makes us think of Mary about to give birth because we see the dragon come and want to devour the child. Now there's a lot of different takes on this, but uh, some would say this might be Mary, an image of Mary, but others would say this is actually an Im- a bigger image, a bigger picture than just Mary. This is God's people, God's seed through the ages of time. Uh, it's Israel. It's God's nation. It's God's chosen. And, and there's all kinds of reasons to think that, but either way, there's a child coming forth from either the woman, right, or the woman in the nation of Israel. And, and it, it takes us all the way back to Genesis 3 when, when Adam and Eve fell to sin and, and then there was strife and, and enmity or a conflict put between Satan and God, right, and, and mankind. And what did God tell Satan at that time? He said, watch out, right? One day the seed of the woman will what? Crush your head, even though you'll bruise his heel. The seed of the woman will crush your head. Amen, right? Amen to that. So what do we see in Revelation 12? The woman and the seed and the dragon all in play now. And it kind of gets a little scary, doesn't it? So you see the woman about to give birth. She's in agony, crying out in pains. Some people say that's why we can't have a silent night song because it probably wasn't silent if she was in agony giving birth. Anyway, verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon. Here we it gets good now, right? Having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Now, Usually imagery in Revelation, when you see many heads or many crowns or many horns, it's talking about multiples of something. So, so with, and, and commentators would say that aligned with Satan, with the dragon, are heads of state and, and nations that align themselves with the beast. And there are many, right, nations and leaders that are against Jesus Christ, the Messiah, right? Many who would come, come against Christ as Messiah, but the dragon's there, and what's this picture? It says, its tail, here, here's a story of this dragon. The tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to earth. What do we, what do we see there? This is the fall of Lucifer, right? When he came against God, I, I want to be God. You can't be, I want to be. No, you can't be. And, and he, he was banished from heaven, and he took a third of the angels with him, didn't he? Going on, what's, what's he doing now? Because he wants to win, and he, he knows he can't, but God's, God's sending a remedy, a rescue. So what does he do? With the seed, he says, And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. This is like so the basic animal instinct thing, right? You think about like what, uh, what a wolf or a coyote or a bear hunts or a, or a cat of some sort. The weakest, right? The frailest. Certainly a newborn. This is just, this is cannon fodder. This is like, just give me what you're going to birth and I'll take care of it right here for you. 
I'm not going to let it get any more powerful. Or any, but, but he couldn't, could he? The seed of the woman. And what a, what a, again, what a huge rebuke to all of us. And this tiny, tiny, humble child, helpless child, was as powerful as he needed to be to defeat Satan and sin and death and to do what we could never, ever do on our own as the strongest we could ever be. That's what Jesus has done. So there he is. He wants to pounce on this child. Then in verse number 5, she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. This is prophecy being fulfilled from Isaiah. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Whoa, we just fast forward to what happened, right? The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1260 days. Going on from there? Let's see what happened. Let's, let's see what played out. Again, here, we're trying to answer the question, right? Going back to Philippians. What exactly happened between verse 7 and verse 8? He died on the cross and then God exalted him. What is going on here? So this is kind of spelling it out here. Here's a little bit of the background for the war. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, so, so we, we, he was thrown out. But now what's the remedy? What's, what's the cosmic battle? Can, can it be over now? Can it be done now? No. Why? Because heaven came down for you and for me, not just to defeat the, Satan, the dragon once and for all, but to defeat the hold that he had on us. Look at what it says in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. What happened between verse 7 and 8? That right there. Because the accuser of our, of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. What has happened? The defeat of the beast has happened. The defeat of the dragon has occurred. That's what, that's what was accomplished between verse 7 and verse 8. And I don't know that we always live like that. Now, there's, there's all kinds of imagery here, all kinds of symbolism here. That's for another day, another sermon series. But what we need to see is that, that there was a cosmic battle that was taking place, but it wasn't just the cosmic battle. It was the battle for your heart and my heart. The battle won by Jesus as he overthrew Satan once and for all. And, and here's a question I want to ask you. This Christmas or just in life, does it sometimes seem to you that Satan has the upper hand in the struggle of the ages? I mean, we look around and we're like, what is going on? It feels like Satan, Satan has all the power and all the control. Right? It might seem like that. Does it look like he's the one who knows how to fight and to win? Sometimes he, it does seem like that. It's like God is always picking maybe a losing strategy. Well, I mean, he came as a baby. I, I imagine what Satan thought about that. When the angels announced that the, the Savior has been born, right? He's, he's the Messiah. He's, he's in cloths in a manger. Satan's like, ooh, brunch or breakfast, right? 
but he couldn't prevail against the weakest. And doesn't God do that? I mean, he tells us to turn the other cheek, doesn't he? He says, bless those who persecute you and love your enemies. He said, when you preach Christ, you don't need to use eloquent wisdom. That he chooses the weak things of the world instead of the strong. It's almost as though God shows up and picks the inferior team. It's like, who are the last ones picked? That's who I want on my team. But God still triumphs every single time. The, the hard part is we, we don't live like we believe that at times. We, we live in a way that says, I, I need to be bigger, better, stronger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I can to fight this battle for myself. And God's like, stop fighting. I, I fought the battle. I, I died. And I, in between at 7 and 8, I, I conquered Satan once and for all. It's not by might, it's not by strength, but by my power, says the Lord in Zechariah 4, 6. You and I need to stop trying on our own. We need to stop fighting on our own. We need to trust in God. Do you look around and feel like God's dealt you a losing hand? Then the question I ask is this, what kind of victory are you actually looking for? Because Christ has paid it all for you. Heaven came down for you, and, and heaven has defeated Satan and sin and death once and for all. Now, before we go on to number two, I want to invite our children to come up. I'm going to tell them a different story, okay? A little nicer story. So it's the children's corner time. Any kids up through age, I don't know, 35, if you want to come up? <laughs> if you want to come up and just sit right in the front pew, I'm going to, I have pictures in a book. You need to see them nice and close, right? Come on up. We'll check it all out. Hi, sweetie. All right. You can sit on the floor or sit on the seat either way, bud. That is a good-looking hat right there. Hi, sweetie. Okay, you ready? That's a comfortable seat, isn't it? You guys are welcome to sit on the front row if you want or on the floor. It's either way. Okay. I, I have a hard time reading upside down. I have a hard time reading, but we'll just... Okay, you ready? What's your, let me ask you this. A couple of you, what, what is your favorite part of the story of Christmas in the Bible? Go ahead. That's cool, yeah, when the angels sing. That's a cool, cool scene, isn't it? Go ahead, Bailey. When Jesus is born. I like that, too. That's a good one. When the wise men come, what, why is that your favorite part? They bring gifts. Of course. We love gifts. Good. Anyone else? What's your favorite part of the Christmas story? Go ahead. When Jesus was born. That's, that's, that's a typical Sunday school answer, but it's the best one. It really is. Good job. All right, well, let's read the story. God sent the angel Gabriel to visit a young woman. Her name was what? Mary, right? She was scared. She had never seen an angel before. Gabriel said, don't be afraid. You are, you are very special to God. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must name him Jesus. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. Oh. Mary asked, how can this be? I'm not married. Gabriel answered, with God, all things are possible. Mary said, I love God. I will do what he has chosen me to do. 
Mary loved Joseph. Mary and Joseph were going to be married soon. Joseph lived in Nazareth, but his family lived in Bethlehem. A new leader named Caesar ordered all people to go back to their homeland. He wanted to count all the people in in his kingdom. So Mary and Joseph went to where? Bethlehem, right. Mary was going to have a baby soon. When they arrived in Bethlehem, they looked for a safe place to sleep. But all the inns were stuffed full. Like us after Christmas dinner. They were stuffed, right? Finally, a man was able to help them. He said, I uh, I do not have any rooms left, but you are welcome to sleep in the stable, right? In a stable? What's in a stable? Animals, Animals, right? We think it might have been smelly there. Could have been, yeah. Joseph made a warm place for Mary to rest, and while they were there, little baby Jesus was born. It's our favorite part right there, right? Mary wrapped Jesus in strips of cloth and gently laid him in a manger. On the night Jesus was born, shepherds were, uh, were watching their sheep. Suddenly an angel stood before them, and God's light shined all around them. It's your favorite part, right? Okay. The angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring joyful news to all people. Today, in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. He is lying in a manger. Then a choir of angels appeared, and they sang, Glory to God in the highest peace and goodwill to everyone on earth. That's cool. The shepherds rushed to Bethlehem. Uh, There they found baby Jesus, and they told Mary and Joseph what the angel had said. As they returned to their sheep, the shepherds told everyone what they had seen and heard. All along the way, the shepherds shouted praises to God. They were excited that Jesus was born, weren't they? They found the Savior. Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus to the temple. There they met, uh, they met a godly man named Simeon. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He knew Jesus was the Savior of all the people. Then Simeon blessed Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. He knew it. He was waiting for Jesus to show up. A prophet named Anna lived at the temple, and she prayed to God every day. When Anna saw baby Jesus, she thanked God. She told everyone in the temple, this is God's son. This is the Savior of the world. When Jesus was born, God put a special star in the sky. Some wise men who lived far away saw the star. They knew it was a sign from God that a new king had been born. The wise men followed the star. On their way, they they stopped in the city of Jerusalem to see King Herod. The wise men wanted to ask him about the baby king. Thought maybe King Herod would know something, right? Now Herod was a mean king. He tried to trick the wise men. You must find him for me so I can worship him too, he said. Did he really want to worship him? No. What do you want to do? Herod? They want, yeah, he wanted to kill him, huh? Yep. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I have a great, great view here. It's awesome. Uh, so he did, yeah, the, the star led the wise men to Bethlehem. There they found little Jesus. They worshiped him and gave him gifts fit for a king, gold and sweet-smelling spices. What were the other two? Gold, myrrh, and frankincense. Yeah, good. An angel appeared to the wise men in a dream. He warned them, do not go back to King Herod. So the wise men went home on a different road. 
When the wise men did not return, King Herod became very angry. Not a nice guy. He yelled at his soldiers, Go and find the boy. I will, I will be the only king of the Jews. But God's angel warned Joseph in a dream, Take your family and escape to Egypt. Do not return until I tell you that it is safe. That night, Joseph and Mary left for Egypt with baby Jesus. Years later, God's angel said to Joseph in a dream, King Herod is dead. Now it's safe to leave Egypt. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus left Egypt and went back home to Nazareth. How did King Herod die? I don't know. Does it say in Scripture how he died? Old age, who knows, yeah. Maybe he was sick, yeah. He, he might have got murdered. His family didn't like each other very much. Maybe not, yeah. Let me ask you this. When they, re- they returned to Nazareth, right? So baby Jesus was born, and eventually they went back to Nazareth. Is that the end of the story? No. No. What, what happens? No, we got the wise men already. What happens after when Jesus moves back to Nazareth? What, what, what does he do? Go ahead. He grows up. He helps people. He helps people. He, he heals people, right? He tells people about, about him and about um, salvation. Yep. And then ultimately, what did he do? He was born so he would go where? To a cross, right? And that's the story we share every, every year. He got on the cross and he died on the cross. You know who he died for? Us. He died for our sins, right? To save us. Exactly. So when we celebrate Christmas, we don't just celebrate the baby, right? We celebrate all of it. We celebrate Jesus. And we thank him that he came, that he died, that he rose again, that we can have life if we believe in him, right? Can we pray? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing time of the year where we get to focus on you and remember you. God, I pray that you would you would just be so near in our hearts, God, that you would help us to trust you and believe in you. God, to, to understand that you came, God, and lived for us, but you also died for us. And God, you rose conquering death that we could, we could have life because of you. We thank you for that. We celebrate you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys. You can head back to your parents, okay? By the way, when Jesus was born, he defeated a red dragon, which was awesome. Number two, you guys ready to go to number two? Where are we at here? Number two. Uh, in, in this exaltation, in this triumph, what we see, uh, number two, is there's no other name. There's no other name. And, and so we're going back to Philippians now. We've kind of seen what happened between seven and eight, right? There was this cosmic battle, and Jesus won that battle. And, and then therefore, God highly exalted him. So if we go to uh, verse number nine, it says, For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. It's above every name. I, you know, we talk about Christmas time. We talk about the season of of love and joy and peace and family and giving. And, and everyone wants their own form of that, right? They want their own little, little mixture of how that looks. And, and we all have different traditions and stuff. But listen, I, I, can't, I can't like soft pedal this at all. If it's not about Jesus, then it's about nothing. There is no other name. There's no other tradition. There's no other way. There's only one. It's Jesus. And, and, I, and I hope you realize that that's not just exclusive like because he hates people, but it's absolutely loving that there is actually a way. 
and that heaven came down for you. And heaven came down for me. But what do, what do people do? They resist that. They, they go to their own way. They try to find their own reasoning and how they'd follow what they'd follow or when they'd follow. But it's now is the time to follow Christ. Now is the time to believe and embrace Christ. There's only one name. There's no other name. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, Peter says this. He's, he's preaching. He's kind of rebuking the people. He says, this Jesus... Right? And for you and I, this Jesus who's right in front of us now, this Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, who's become the cornerstone. I don't want someone to tell me that one day. Brandon, this Jesus that's been in front of you all these years, a story that was so familiar to you, I don't want them to tell me that that's the stone that I rejected. I want to embrace Jesus Christ. I want him to be my foundation, my cornerstone, my everything. There's no other name. And he goes on, he says, this Jesus who you rejected has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which people must be saved. We get that? There's no other name. It's only Jesus. Praise God, there's a way. Praise God that heaven came here. Again, that cosmic battle could have ended and been done with us out of the picture. But God came for us. Heaven came down for us. Isaiah 9, our Christmas prophecy, a child will be born for us. A child will be born for us. A son will be given. Not, not many children or many sons, many different ways, but a child, a son. And the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's no one else that can bear that name. There's no one else that can, can offer what that name offers, what the name of Jesus Christ offers. Matthew 1, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. No one else can do that. No one else was born and defeated a red, red dragon ready to devour him. Only Jesus Christ. I, I want to look at Mary's song. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I know this, is, this Christmas series has been light on Christmas story. Maybe you haven't felt that at all, but I, I feel that pressure every, every Sunday to make sure, hey, we're reading the Christmas story at some point, right? That's why we read a children's book today, and, and you and I got to see Revelation. But at least I want us to look at Mary's song. This is when, when she understood that, that she was going to have the Messiah and how she responded to this, how she responded to this news and what she said. And in, in Luke 1, 46 is where we pick it up. And Mary said, or saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because He has looked with favor on the humble condition of His servant. So listen, all the attention went to God. All of her devotion went to God. She knew that the Lord, her God, her Savior, was the one to be praised. And she says, Surely from now on, all generations, right? Not just, not just she feels good and it's for my family. But she says, All generations will call me blessed. Because the, the mighty one, not a mighty one, the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation. I, I, you know, listen, Mary was feeling mercy. She was feeling grace. She was feeling blessing. But what she understood about the blessing that was inside of her is that blessing was good news of great joy for all people. Because eventually, we can say today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered 
the proud because of their thoughts, the thoughts of their heart. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. I want you to see that thrones there. Not just one throne, one government that he was after. It wasn't just an isolated story. All thrones. He has all authority. He has exalted the lowly. Again, he picks the losing team, it seems like. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy. Remembering his mercy. This is, this is the God of the universe remembering mercy for all generations, for all people. Remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever. Forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This, this is God, right? This is heaven came down for us. This is the, the name above all names. This is the only way to be in right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, who, who pursued a relationship, who is drawing you in to a relationship with him. There's no other name. He is glorious and yet humble. He is God in the flesh. He is the bread of life and, his, and the bread is his flesh that he offered for us as an atonement for our sins. And Satan, sin, and death and, and have been conquered by our Messiah the only Messiah, Jesus Christ. There is no other name. So listen, as we talk about Christmas, we see that there's this triumph and this exaltation. The triumph was, man, he, he won a victory. He won the victory over Satan. He won it. Yeah, and, and that should lead us to understand that he won it. No one else, not you, not me, not any false weird God or idol that we would create, but the God of the universe who came in the flesh won that victory. There is no other name. And, and finally, what we need to understand is, and, and as we approach Christmas, that there's an exclusivity here for us, for us, for all who would believe. And the final point today is this. Every knee will bow. There's only one name, and every knee will bow before that name. So I ask the question, why worship him? Why, why worship? Why come and gather and learn and grow and repent and turn to him? Why? Because he wins. Because he's the authority. Because he has offered and given to us what we could never accomplish on our own or by any other means. That is, he has offered himself, his life, so that you and I could live. Look at Philippians again, chapter 2. We'll read the rest of this. So he gave him the name above every name in verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, that is a promise. And I, I think for me, I think we look at this two different ways, right? One for me, I'm like, I'm excited. Yes, I bow. I want to bow. I want to come and adore him. I want to bow before him, and I can't wait to bow before him in person, face to face in reverence and in worship and in praise and in thankfulness for what he has done for me and how he's covered my sin because of his blood and by his blood. But there's another way to look at this. If you haven't come to him in faith, if you haven't trusted in him and haven't received Christ as Savior and believe that his atonement was for you, you will still bow before him in judgment and he will conquer you like he conquered the dragon. You and I are already condemned because of our sin. Jesus came, heaven came down to rescue us though and to bring us life. Every knee will bow. Again, he had all the power and all the authority to destroy the devil and to leave us to our own sin and destruction. 
but he didn't. He came for us. Heaven came down for you. John says in 1 John, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 2, for the one who sanctifies and, uh, and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And so what, what the author is saying is, listen, we, we get this opportunity to be brothers and sisters in Christ, of Christ, right? With him, heirs, adopted into his family because of what he has accomplished. Again, I will trust in him. And, and again, I am here with the children God gave me, he says. Now, since the children had flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these things so that, here's the so that, this is the important part, right? Why? Why did he become flesh? Why can we try? Why will every knee bow, right? So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and to free those, you and I, who were held in slavery all our lives by the fear of death. You see, yeah, Jesus could have just wiped Satan out and been done but he came to free us, to offer us freedom in him and by his blood and by his sacrifice that the one holding the power wouldn't have the power anymore, that, that Jesus is the one with all the power. He wanted to rescue us because we were being held captive by our sin and by Satan and by death. Heaven came down for you. Heaven came down to free you. And it's because of his great love he did that and because he wanted to display his glory that he took on flesh and that he, he then died as an atonement in my place and in your place. He died where I deserved to die. He died where you deserved to die. He gave his life for us, and now his spirit is drawing us towards him, pleading with us to repent of our sin and to trust in him for life. He wants you to open your eyes and believe. He's waiting. The question is, will you believe? Will this, will this be more than just a story at Christmas time? Will this be what we embrace every single day of our lives, understanding that we will all be accountable to God one day. Every knee will bow, but there will be a time. Remember that second half of the final act is coming still. We're waiting for that Savior who's coming still. Right? Salvation is here and offered right now, but there will be a day when every knee will bow, either because they've trusted Christ and they bow in reverence and in thankfulness and are welcomed into his kingdom, or they will bow in fear and reverence because they are now condemned in their own sin. We have the opportunity to trust and turn to him. Hebrews tells us that there will be no creature that's hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There's nothing that we can hide. We, we, we can try to hide from him or hide from others, but we, we can't do it. He is the God who came from heaven for us. He has all power, all authority. He has defeated Satan. He is the name above every name. There's no other name and that we will bow before him. Are you, are you a brother or sister? Are you counted as a brother or sister? Have you bowed down? My prayer is that you and I would come to adore him and come and adore him. He is Christ the Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we, we thank you so much that you have accomplished everything for us. God, and for so many, I think, even if, 
we're Christians for a long time. There's a routine sometimes, a, a, a familiarity that we, we kind of just go through the motions at Christmas. But God, I, I pray that this would be different. Every year would be different. That we would not only anticipate, but we would look for it uh, eagerly, and, and, and we'd enter it in eagerly, God, God, and we would uh, look for you at every turn and every corner. And God, we would just be moved and warmed by your comfort, by the peace we have through the shed blood of Christ. God, without Christmas, there is no Good Friday. There is no Resurrection Sunday. So, Father, we're thankful for Christmas. We're thankful for the battle that has been fought and won over Satan, over sin, and, and ultimately over death. And, God, we know that when we believe, because you live, we will also live. So we are thankful for that. Thank you that you are the greatest gift anyone could ever receive. Help us turn to you, to bow before you, humble ourselves, make you Savior, not only today, but every day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.